But our scripture reading today is from 1 Chronicles 29, 10 through 17. Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you and of your own have we given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow and there is no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here, offering freely and joyously to you. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. The last time I was here was in July. You guys might be thinking, that guy looks familiar, but I'm not so sure. The hair's a little bit different. It's a little bit longer, but I assure you, I am the same guy. I do bring greetings from the mothership from McLean Presbyterian. Uh, We love you guys dearly. Um, Let's get right into it. This coming week, we'll be celebrating Thanksgiving on Thursday. Many of us will be spending the night before uh, slaving away in the kitchen or maybe even the morning of. Maybe some of us are looking forward to the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade where you see the flutes of SpongeBob and Pikachu um, and Spider-Man. Some of us will be watching the Redskins versus Cowboys game. Me, as an Eagles fan, will be hoping that both of you guys lose. Not sure if that's possible. And then if you're really like me, you can't wait till everything on the evening of Thanksgiving settles down and everybody goes home or you get to your own home so you can start playing the Christmas music and start putting up the Christmas decorations. Some of you guys have already started doing that. I'm praying for you guys. You know, sanctification is a process. Thanksgiving highlights one of the key components of the Christian faith. What you guys are going through your sermon series on right now, generosity. When you give thanks on Thanksgiving, when you're sitting around the table and you're talking about the things you are thankful for, you're really recounting the ways in which you've seen and experienced the uh, generosity of God made manifest in your life. And the cool thing about generosity is that the more we get to experience generosity, the more generous we become ourselves. We are made for generosity, but if I'm being honest with you, I don't think this is something that I really fully understand myself. Maybe you find yourself in a similar place. So this morning, as we look at this text, I want to consider it under three categories. The first being the purpose of generosity. The purpose of generosity. This is for the note takers. If you're not a note taker, that's, that's okay. But if you are one, the purpose of generosity. The second, the posture of generosity. And the third, the price of generosity. But before we get started, please pray with me. Father God, we have 
so, so, so much to be thankful for. If we started recounting all the blessings right now, this moment, we'd be here all day. Father God, please confront us with your grace. Confront us with your generosity so we can see you for who you are and be transformed by that. We pray all this in the name of your precious son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So what is the purpose of generosity? Why should we be generous? The short answer, spoiler alert, to glorify God, to glorify God. Look at verse 11. Here we see two things, that everything in creation belongs to God and everything in creation reveals his glory. And this is something that we see all throughout scripture. In Psalm 95, 4, we read, in his hands are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. This speaks of the scope of God's ownership of all things, whether it's the depths of the Atlantic Ocean or the heights of Mount Everest, and everything in between, it all belongs to God. Psalm 19.1, we read it earlier uh, in our call to worship. The heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Have you guys ever gone uh, stargazing in a field? Or have you guys ever seen the sunrise uh, from a mountaintop or the sunset over an ocean? If you've ever experienced this you know what it's like to be filled with awe. That's the glory of God. And that's what verse 11 is getting at here when it says, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heavens and in earth is yours. That's the first thing that we see here in verse 11. But the second thing that we see is not only does it all belong to God, not only is he the creator of it and the owner of it, but he's the ruler of it as well. Verse 11 continues, yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. This headship language speaks of the authority of God, that it's him who determines um, the purpose of creation. Uh, One of the places that we see this um, most evidently is in the book of Job. In the book of Job, we're told that he gives orders to the morning and he shows the dawn its place. He sets the lightning bolts on their way and he gives the rooster its understanding. He gives the horse its strength and the hawk takes flight by his wisdom. And we see this even in Genesis 1, right? The creation narrative that everything was according with it was created with a purpose according to its kind. You mean you have seeds and plants and trees created according to its kind. And you have the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky created according to its kind. You have polar bears and pigs created according to its kind. I think that God created pigs just so we could have bacon. That's just me. Sorry to the vegetarians in the room. He creates all these things for man's enjoyment. Seas for you to swim in, mountains for you to climb, pomegranates for you to eat, coffee for you to roast, animals for you to play with, and stars for you to gaze at. Creation was the very first act of generosity. You cannot separate God's generosity from his love. Love is the object to generosity is the vehicle. But when God got to man in the creation account, he made man a little bit different. He said, 
He created man in his own image. Our generous God created for him a generous people in his generous image. All things have been given to be given away. He told Adam, this is a paraphrase, this is not, you won't find this in your Bible. This is a paraphrase of what he told Adam. He told Adam, look at all that I've given you and I want you to enjoy it. I want you to return it back to me better than how you found it. I'm giving you coffee beans, but I want you to make lattes. I'm giving you a pig, but I want you to make bacon. I'm giving you trees, but I want you to make ships and sail the sea. I'm giving you clay and rocks, but I want you to build bricks and buildings and homes and cities. I want you to enjoy this creation but I want you to run with it. I want you to enjoy it. Cultivate this bad boy so I can be glorified. We glorify God when we offer back to him that which he's already given us. This is at the heart of divine generosity. And this is extremely countercultural and extremely Convicting. At least it is for me. We live uh, in a culture uh, of scarcity where we believe that we don't have enough of anything, so we like to adopt the motto from 50 Cent, get rich or die trying. We want to make sure that we are remembered. We're out here trying to make a name for ourselves, and we think that we will find security in the things that we own and the things that we Possessed, And we think because we worked hard for it, no one can tell us what to do with it. And for the believer, if you're honest, practically speaking, I can't speak for you. I can only speak for myself. Even God sometimes. I think I'm sovereign over everything in my possession. So this is extremely countercultural, extremely convicting, but it's also extremely comforting and extremely compelling as well. Think about this. If God is the ultimate owner and the ultimate ruler of everything, then we can trust that he will provide everything that we will ever need. We don't have to stress over what we don't have. We can know that everything we have in our possession, he's given it to us, and he's given it to us for a purpose. And it's also compelling because it gives our life direction. We are meant to live in lives of joyful obedience, yes, but in the way of generosity. Quick summary. Everything exists for God's glory, and he's given us creation to glorify him. So we're to glorify God with generosity, but how? What is this posture of generosity? And the posture of generosity is humility. Humility. And we become humble as we remember who God is. Look with me at verse 14. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hands. David's humility comes from remembering who God is, that he is the creator of everything, he is the owner of everything, and he is the ruler of everything, of all creation. But for David... I'm inclined to believe that it's not just external, but it's internal as well. We all know Psalm 139 when David writes, For you formed my inward parts. You needed me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully 
made. Not only does God's wealth, not only does David's wealth belong to God, but his entire being, everything that David is belongs to God. This includes his personality, his talents, his gifts, his desires, his longings, his body, his thoughts, his emotions. They all belong to God and for God's purposes, divine generosity, and cosmic flourishing. You can say the same for us as well. And again, I find this to be very, very comforting because so often in my own life, I find that I uh, try to find my identity in these things that God has given to me. In my personality, will people like me? In my talents and my gifts, am I the best at what it is that I do? In my body, am I attractive enough? In my thoughts, am I smart enough? These kinds of questions can plague our thoughts, and this kind of self-absorption can fill us with anxiety. But because we belong to him, we know that we are infinitely valuable. Because we're created in his generous image, we know that we can instill infinite value into this world by partaking in this divine generosity. And when this is your starting point, humility naturally follows. We become humble by remembering who God is, but we also become humble by remembering who we were. Look with me at verse 15. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as as were all of our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Ever since the fall in the garden, we have been estranged from God. Romans 1.21 tells us that for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. When we are thankful to God, we glorify him and we honor him, but when we aren't, we become foolish. When we aren't thankful to God, we become foolish. The behavior of a stranger to God is marked by foolishness. And what does foolishness look like? No better place than Proverbs. It gives us a great illustration. Proverbs 14.1, in a fool's heart, he says there is no God. Proverbs 14.16, a fool is reckless and careless. Proverbs 14.29, he who has a, tasty, a hasty temper exalts Folly. Proverbs 10, 18, whoever utters slander is a fool. This is a great self-diagnostic tool. This is a great evaluation. Would others describe you as being reckless or careless? What about being quick-tempered? Do you find yourself often speaking ill of others? There might be something more to your temper. There might be something more to your reckless behavior, and there might be something more to your slanderous speech than meets the eye. At the root of it all might be the lack of a thankful heart. The lack of a thankful heart. But if you're in Christ, that's who you were. It's not who you are. We remember who we were as a way of humility, but we also remember who we are as a way of humility as well. Look with me at verse 17. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. 
in the uprightness of my heart. David here is able to make a claim towards righteousness. And if you're familiar um, with the Old Testament, you might know uh, some of the sins that David had committed. And beckons the question, it begs the question, how is he able to say, you test my righteous heart, or you see my uprightness and you delight in it? And the answer is that he's looking forward to a future promised Messiah. And the same future promised Messiah that he's looking forward to is the same Messiah that we look back to, the same risen Messiah that we have in Jesus Christ. David's righteousness is our righteousness. It's only one righteousness, and it's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.19 tells us, so that so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We have been redeemed with Christ's righteousness. We've been restored to the household of God. If creation was the first act of generosity, then redemption is the supreme act of generosity. You've been redeemed and restored back to the life that you are always meant to live if you are in Christ Jesus. Now, redemption as the supreme act of generosity has huge implications on our interpersonal relationships. Because God generously forgave our offense, we are now called to generously forgive those who sin against us, those who offend us. So ask yourself this morning, is there anyone in your life who can generously extend forgiveness to? You were made for this kind of generosity because you were made in the image of a generous God and you were redeemed by the blood of a generous Savior. Don't sit on your blood-bought gift. Who can you forgive this morning? So we've taken a look at the purpose of generosity. We've taken a look at the posture of generosity. We're to glorify God with our generosity. We're supposed to do so in humility as we remember who God is, who we were, and now who we are. What's it going to cost us? What's the price of this generosity? And the answer is both everything and nothing. That's kind of meta, right? Matthew 16, 25, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We can offer everything that we have and everything that we are for the sake of the gospel because Jesus is our life now. All we have is Christ, and Christ is all we need. We need nothing else more. And because this is true, we can join the assembly in verse 17, offering freely and joyfully to God. Isn't that a beautiful image, to be able to live a life of freedom and joy in our generosity? Not a chore, but of freedom and joy. What might this look like? How should we go about living in this freedom that we have in Christ and this joy that we have in Christ? A few tips for you before I close. The first is celebration. We're going to do it right after this service, and then we're going to do it again on, uh, on Thursday. But make celebration a rule for your life. Remember the generosity of God. And like David, remember that God knitted you together in your mother's womb. I think that many of us walk around with a lot of shame. 
And I think shame interferes with our ability to be generous. Because shame by default is inward focused. It is. But I want you to hear this morning that God celebrates you. He sings over you and rejoices over you with loud singing. And this is every part of you. Every part of you. And he bought you with a price. So let go of that shame. Come to the cross and live in the celebration that we have in this resurrection life. Make celebration a rule for your life. The first is celebrate. The second is consecrate. Declare everything in your position for the purposes of divine generosity. And I have to preach this one to myself. (laughs) Oh, man. Ask God to reveal to you the ways in which you can use that which he's given you to offer it back to him. Practically, the easiest place to start is also the hardest place to start. Your time and your money. Your time and your money. Develop a schedule for the purpose of divine generosity. Develop a budget for the purpose of divine generosity. When, we're, when we become generous with our time and we become generous with our money, it creates a liturgical rhythm. We start exercising those generous muscles and then generosity almost becomes second nature. You have to have a starting point, I would suggest there. Celebrate, consecrate, next, cultivate. First, cultivate your relationship with God. There's a Christian mystic named Meister Eckhart, and he has one of my favorite quotes. He said, if the only prayer you ever prayed was thank you, that would be enough. That would be enough. Develop your relationship with God, and a great starting point is just simply saying thank you. Don't let Thanksgiving be the only time in which you reflect over all that you have to be thankful for. To be honest, we can be thankful for all of it. I'm looking around. I didn't will any of this into existence. Nothing. Nothing in my life did I, did I, did I speak into existence. And you can say the same thing. It is all a gift of God. Let us develop these hearts of Thanksgiving by saying thank you for everything. You can never say thank you enough. I promise you that. You can never say thank you enough to our creator and our redeemer. So cultivate your relationship with God, but also cultivate yourself. He's given you uh, talents and a mind um, and emotion. Develop emotionally healthy spirituality. Develop your mind. Develop your body. Take these things that God has given you and return it back to him better than which you found it. And not only that, enter into relationships with people. Cultivate those relationships with people as you cultivate yourself. This is a way in which we can glorify God and practically live out this generosity. Cultivate your hobbies. It's fun. So we have celebrate, we have consecrate, we have cultivate. Lastly, collaborate. The, uh, the Christian life was never one meant to be done alone. Um, we're not, that's not how we're created. Again, back on the talk of image of God, we're created in the image of a Trinitarian God. And that might sound like big, fancy theological language, but what that really means is that there are three persons that have always existed united to one another. Because that is true, we are built for relationship with one another, not just 
basic standard relationship, but generous relationship. Our joys increased when we do joy, when we do generosity with other people. An example of this, if you have an elderly lady in your neighborhood that needs help raking up her leaves and bagging them, grab some of your friends and do it. Um, If you know of a person in the church um, who has five kids and they could really use a date night, grab some of your friends and babysit them and give them a date night. There are opportunities in which for you to join together and collaborate for the sake of generosity. I'm telling you, you will be, your your joy will increase as you do so. I'm going to land the plane. I do want to say this. God is more concerned with your joy and your flourishing than you ever could be. You might think that you want to be happy, not nearly as much as God wants you to be happy. And the path to happiness is to him and through him as we join him in a life of divine and genuine generosity. Please pray with me. Father God, truly, if we started now telling of all the ways in which we've gotten to experience your goodness for us, we'd be standing here forever. And Lord, we long for the day in the new heavens and new earth when we'll be able to do just that. Never-ending generosity, never-ending joy. Lord, may this reality break into our lives now. Reveal to us this week, this Thanksgiving day, the ways in which you've been generous towards us, and may it become a way of life. We pray all this in the name of our powerfully risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.